listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Bracken boy, am I excited to talk to you today. Is it because I'm in a cutoff sweatshirt? Uh, No. Huh. Although that is retro. That's got to be from years ago. This is t- 2014 or 2015, yeah. Yeah. Old. This is a thick sweatshirt, though. It's thick and tough. Uh-huh. Looks tough. I like it. Um, are you feeling tough today, I guess? Let's just follow follow this up with that question. Are you feeling tough today? No. No. You're, I'm feeling broken. Your screen name, and I'll read it verbatim today. We get to customize our own screen names every time we talk, and so we try to be creative. This one isn't very creative, though, but it's applicable. It says, so, 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 so sore. Yes. Why are you so sore, Bracken? I competed, Kirk. Yeah, you did. For the first time in a year. Okay. I competed. First time I've done that level of exertion in a year. And it it's catching up. This is two days later now. Got the dom setting in. And it's every I'm every bit as sore as yesterday told me I would be. Mm, which means it's bad today. Yeah. I mean it's not debilitating. I've had much worse, but I'm this is the most sore I've been in a long time. Okay, so set the stage for people. So I think, I hope I'm not letting a cat out of the bag here by saying this, but I feel like your approach this year is to be about it, not talk about it. Meaning yeah. all we've been able to do is talk through injuries and recovery from surgery and something pops up and it's like, you know, we're we're dreaming big and we're, and we're talking about what we plan to do. And in a side conversation, you have I have you and I have had, you didn't say the exact words about I'm going to be about it instead of talk about it. But I feel like that's the underlying approach this season. And so on Friday, literally Friday, Bracken messages our group. We have a race brain group chat and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to race Deca tomorrow. One, what, 12 hours before the start? How how mm-hmm. far out did you make the decision? Yeah. Anyways, and so you can cut this out if you want about the be about it instead of talk about it, but I just thought that you just decided right away, early January, I'm going to be about it, whether I'm ready or not, and you went and raced, so I want to hear about it. I think it's pretty cool. Well, I have to thank Ryan Kent, because I, and I read some of his messages to me on our interview, but he he told me, he said, listen, I know... I've gone through a version of this. I know what you're feeling, which is I'm not ready. I don't want to show back up until I'm ready to do the things I used to be able to do and until I can step in and make a splash with what I do. He said, and that's just, you're never going to be there. It echoes what Hunter told me Mm -hmm. two years ago after the first surgery, which is you can't wait until the fitness is perfect. Just go out and race. And Hunter's was jump into the national series and do something big and just take your lumps and work back into it. And Ken's advice was go do some DECA strong. There's no running in it. It's all strength and functional output back to back to back. 
So if you do well, awesome. It's just going to help you everywhere else. And if you don't do well, well, there's no running. Who cares? This is just, it's a safe place to go compete and get your butt kicked or kick some butt. And it's going to expose what you need exposed. And it happens in local little gyms where the eyes aren't on you. Just go have fun and do as many local events as you can. That's, that's what he told me. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, te- I went through and I found them and I wrote them down in italics with a question mark, you know, little font on my schedule. Like if it fits, let's try it. Yep. And I looked down there and then the first one was sitting there and I thought, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not going to do that. And I realized, yep, it's exactly what Ryan was saying. So let's just squash this bad seed before it grows and sign up for it. So that's what I did. And it was really, really important because it was a two hour drive. Had to get up at four in the morning. I got up, was tired because I was up too late the night before and didn't want to drive. It was everything rolled into one of what I needed to do to, mm-hmm. to kind of rip the bandaid off. Like if you really want to be about this this year, if you want to do X, Y, or Z at the end of the year, you got to start with a right now. So that's, the overall reasoning for why I did it. So you drove down to Chicago, I'm assuming, two-hour drive? Is that where you went? Yeah, it was, it was outside of Naperville. Okay, and you went to a local gym. We just talked about Naperville. Yeah, we did. A local gym. They were putting on just the Deca Strong, I assume. There was no other events that yeah, were options. Just so Deca Strong. Just Deca Strong, um, which I will say, knowing your current training, I don't know your training right now as well as I have in the past, um, mostly because you were watching that quad and you were doing a lot of uphill work and some cross training, but, um, I wouldn't say that you're, you've trained yourself specifically to do well at this event necessarily. I know you're doing Metcons. I know you're doing multimodality work, but are you getting under weight for 10 to 15 minutes straight without cardio in between? I don't know if you are for output. So I would imagine that this was also a little daunting in that regard, um, because your training hasn't been specific for this. Yeah, and the unfortunate part, if if this were looked at as this event was what needed to happen in my season, the unfortunate part is that the Metcon is the piece I've cut out of my training. Mm. I've been managing, I need to load up my tendons still and make sure that I can handle everything, and I'm reintroducing contact right now, and so I've taken out high heart rate strength work entirely. So, uh, And, and I, I sent this in a voice message to the group, which you didn't get yet. Mm because you had a busy weekend, but it basically said, now I haven't done a circuit, a Metcon, a WAD yet this year and yet since the injury. So I haven't done strength with my heart rate up in probably, I mean, minimum 90 days, but probably more than that. So this was very far outside of the comfort zone. I've been lifting and I've been running uphill and I've been doing more rowing than I've ever done in my life. So I've had some of the, I've done every component of the event, but I haven't stacked anything. And that, that was, that was what killed me. It's a real smack in the face going, uh, if you could call it going almost lactic, well, also anaerobic in like a power output. It's a very tough combo when that heart rate's up there and you're trying to still put power out. So, um, how did it go? I saw a leaderboard result and it looked like you had won by like a second over mm-hmm. somebody one tenth one tenth of a second so tell me about it man how did it how did it go well jack bauer predicted i could go 1335 and he's painfully right about these things so my goal was to to beat that but realistically i thought if i could break 14 minutes in this i'll be happy 
and the uh, the the leading time was twelve uh, was thirteen fifty seven point zero, and I started fading a little bit in the workout, and then closed hard and went twelve fifty six point nine or thirteen fifty six point nine. So I, I snuck under by a tenth. By a tenth, unbelievable. By a tenth. So how do you feel about that performance? This was one of those where any result I had that wasn't quitting or failing out was going to be, I was going to be really happy with. Okay. So I'm ecstatic with it. Everything went as well as it could have gone on that day. I only made one mistake, I think, and it probably cost me two seconds. So I I really don't have anything I can be upset with. And being there, making the drive down, eating the pre-race breakfast, forcing down the Mm pre-race breakfast, you know, not getting through it because I couldn't get it down, having to warm up, an abbreviated warm up. Uh, I got to do my little five minute rush mm. routine. It worked perfectly. Having to line up and then just they say go and go. It, it was it was everything I needed. So I'm thrilled with it. It was uh, the, the location was HeartFit, um, OCR and Hybrid, I believe is what they call it. Um, it's a training center down there. They're team flatliners. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen their jerseys at, yeah. at races. Um, it's awesome facility, and and they put on a great event. So I just want to thank them and kind of shout them out. If you're in the Midwest and you want, they have every obstacle known to man there. If you need to train for obstacle racing or hybrid racing, you can't find a better setup than they have. So they were super welcoming. They uh, they only had one slot left when I signed up. There was only one spot left, and you have to sign up through Spartan. And it was for 1.30 p.m. And I needed to be home by 11.30 a.m. And they made room for me to come down and do it at at 8 in the morning. So they were fantastic. They had so many volunteers there. They just have a pretty cool community. So shout out to them. They were awesome. That's fantastic. Did you get a lot of support down there? People like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, man? Yeah, it was cool. Uh Uh-huh. And it was a lot of faces that I don't know personally, but I've seen throughout the years or online. And it's cool. Um, what got, well, last question then, what, uh, where'd you get stuck and what do you think you did well? Then we'll move on. I paced very well and I got stuck. I just got beaten down by the progressive nature of the fatigue. Mm. So you go from, you start with 30 step back weighted lunges and then you go to a 500 meter row and then you go to 20 or 25 box step overs and then weighted sit-ups and then from there into uh, ski erg, 500 meter ski erg, and then farmer's carry, and then assault bike, and then dead ball, ground over shoulder, and then sled push and pull, and then ram burpees, weighted burpees. So it's just, there's no running, it's just station to station to station, 10 of them. And the progressive nature of being slightly more depleted each station took me from like, stay comfortable but work hard, stay comfortable, work hard to, all right, now you've blown up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was really like, there was no abrupt shift and there was no gradual. It was gr- abrupt and gradual at the same time. Like each station, I knew I was more compromised getting to it. And then suddenly I'm on the assault bike and I'm blowing up. You're surviving. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm a, that, that event appeals to me um, for a number of reasons, mostly because it's just raw and it's just straight up. It's it sounds mm-hmm. complicated when you when you list it out, but it's really not. It is just workhorse. There's no real transitions. There's no rock zone in quotes. There's no. It's just like 
get work done. And there's something kind of wonderfully simple about that, but it's going to be very painful. I have to imagine that's the most you've hurt in some time. Oh yeah. 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 And it's interesting because you hit the row as your second machine. And so you could work hard, but you can't work hard. Mm, Got to hold back. You can't afford to work yeah. hard. And you get to the skier and you just did row, which has core to it. You just did weighted sit-ups right before it, and now you're skiing, and that's like the skier tips your core over, at least in my case, because my core is a, a weakness for me. And and then from then on out, your, my core, your core is comp- compromised, mm-hmm. but you still can't work as hard as you want to. So it's like ride that red line edge the whole time and then pick which station you're going to tip on. I love it. Well, I was pumped to see that, man. Yeah. Sorry I didn't respond in the group message. I, uh, I get overwhelmed when there's 40 of them in there and I'm behind. Uh, so I figured I'd wait to chat it out today with you. So that's awesome, man. Way to go. What uh, what is um what's Kent's world record? Twelve something? Uh eleven. Eleven, 11 high. Yeah. Yeah. Eleven mid. Okay. Yeah, that's impressive. Twenty four, twenty six, something like that. So I looked at it afterwards and made my chart of what I did versus what I could cut off right now if I did it again versus what I think I can cut off within like six months and uh It'll never be in the 11s. <laughs> I can tell you that much. But yeah. And I, I messaged Kent a little bit, but my takeaway was I don't ever intend or care to be good at the strong version with no running. Mm-hmm. But if I can get better at it, it's only going to help everything else I do. Preach. I agree with that. And something about those short inside out, hate your life efforts like that really translate well to when it's extended out further, just managing the discomfort Mm -hmm. i feel like it's really good for that reason alone well as i dropped the farmer's carry and headed to the assault bike i thought i could really use a run right now Uh. and that's the first time i felt that way in a while and i think that's a very healthy thing for a runner to realize at the end of the day i still need running to be good to be very good at things like it was cool to be competitive in this or semi-competitive in this realm but it'll be a relief to be able to run in between these kind of things. Yeah. I bet. I'm sure I'd feel the same exact way. Um, all right. Well, he's back folks. And I'm going to keep, I'm keeping a few things tight to the chest as well. I, uh, I've been looking, I was looking at some flights today. I'm not going to say any more than that, but that's it. I like it. Yep. Um, let's talk about our topic today, man. Shall I introduce it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Take her. All right. Uh, we got a list. What do we got? Like four topics we're meaning to get to here that are on our short list. And uh, this one has spoken to me yeah. for a while, mostly because honestly, I have a few people in mind when this topic comes up. Like I think about the topic we're having today, the conversation we're about to have today. And I think of people specifically who have expressed frustrations to me, how they are always going to be slow. They're always going to be in the back of the pack, the bottom 25%. We very often, you know, the athletes we interview are typically high performers or high achievers. Um, We talk in a very competitive space, but there's this whole section of our community. You're never going to be fast. And that's the harsh reality. You are always going to be coming into the gallery claps and underperforming your workouts and feeling like you're just not good enough. We're talking to you guys today. How's that? Mm -hmm. I'll keep it. I'll keep it vague for now. No, it's good. The majority of our running community is made up by people who will never show up as a blip on anyone else's radar Mm -hmm. when they look at a a list before a race of who to look out for, who will never put up a PR 
that most other runners would look at and say, oh, that's, that's fast, that's impressive. They're, they're not going to make a podium. Mm-hmm. Even when you start doing age groups and, and things like that, still only three people can make it. And this episode is for the people that just don't ever have a shot at a podium. That's not even, not even the realm of possibility. It's just running is, is many things to you, but uh, fast will never be one of those things. This is the episode. Yeah, and maybe the fast people can uh, uh, relate to this or at least get some understanding uh, by listening to this. So don't tune us out, you speedsters. That would be rude. Um, so let's ask. Let's start with this, Bracken. Have you ever felt like that in your career? Have you ever felt like a back of the packer that didn't matter as far as outside perspective? You ever felt like that? I have. So wondering if you ever have yeah yeah of course and i think that's the important preface to this episode which is that like a few episodes prior to this i talked about the ricky bobby quote where if you're not first you're last Mm -hmm. like if the goal is to win the race and you're not the person who wins it whether you take second fourth 40th or last we all failed which makes us all slow and 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 you and i are in this interesting position where we ran collegiately and we are faster. If you like take the bell curve of all runners on the planet, we're up at that pointy end. And yet the gap between the rest of the, the world and us is closer together than us and the very tip of the pointy end. Sure. So we appear fast to some of the people, many of the people, but we are extremely slow compared to the best people. And we've sat in that position. Like in my life, I would guess I've taken dead last in more than a dozen races. And we talked about our big cross country races in college where we raced a good, good D one runners. And there's what two, 300 people in the field. And we get to the first mile and we're overextended and we look behind us. And the only people behind us are in the trailing golf cart. Mm-hmm. We've so in reality, we're all slow compared to the people who are truly fast and the people who are truly fast look down into them. They don't care if you run 15 minutes or 50 minutes in a 5k, you're extremely slow. So in reality, you and I are never going to be fast because there are hundreds, maybe thousands of women on this earth right now that would lap us in a 10k. That's just the way running works. So, yeah, we feel that way all the time. It's Everything is relative and comparable here to other things. But in reality, this episode speaks to all of us. Mm-hmm. The difference is that you and I have the ability to make a podium in a race. Or as we age into our masters, we're going to have the ability to make a master's podium, hopefully. This is really more directed towards people who have no hope of ever making a podium or cracking the top half of their age. But in the grand scheme of things... We're extremely slow compared to the good people. Yeah. It's uh, interesting to hear you say, like, let's say a pro 5K or um, would look at 15 minutes and laugh, right? Be like 15 flat, like, wouldn't even mm-hmm. be a blip on their radar because the best in the world are running high 12 minutes, 1250, 1240, uh, which is lapping a 15 minute 5K, which is mind blowing. I don't want to cheapen the conversation by pretending we can relate, though, to the people, some of the people listening, because we can.
can and we can't, right? Meaning like right. there's there's going to be people at home saying like you still don't understand what it's like to go run your local trail race and get gallery clapped while I Correct. come in. Like that we can't pretend to relate to, but we feel humbled and slow constantly by other – you always look to the next level of people, right? The next level of performers. Yeah. And you're, you realize like that might be unattainable. So I just wanted to like make that note like to follow up your point. Like we yeah. – understand but we don't understand at least for me like i'd never felt that other than the one time yeah in the notre dame invitational that i alluded towards where the golf cart was behind me and i felt like an utter pathetic failure and embarrassment it was horrifying so i i I felt a glimpse of that at one point but i can tell you want to jump into something well just to clarify exactly how we're gonna like frame this episode my first trail ultra ultra of any sort i ran was a 50k at devil's lake state park and tyler's i've told this story before but tyler siegel showed up to run this as a training run he's been a national champ i believe in the trail 100k i could be off on that he was a national champ in college while we were in college he might have been after you just after me complete stud yep monster multiple time national champ multiple time conference champion multiple time all-american and professional trail runner he ran it as a workout we talked together for the first several miles and then he just kind of politely got to work and ran a kind of he kind of tempoed the next couple hours and i don't know beat me by a half hour with his heart rate never crossing probably 160 Mm. he was just casually running a workout and i had it pegged and I fell apart. I ended up walking the last hill and just on fumes, thrashing myself to get to the line. He was done, cooled down, showered, changed, and had to hit the road to get home because they had a young baby at the time before I crossed the finish line. He was 10 minutes out of the venue before I finished. And so I look at that and think, I like, I just will never be f- truly fast because this national caliber not even world caliber just national caliber guy ran a workout during this race and beat me by a half hour but i won my age division right you know i was on the podium for my age group so even though i felt that way i was still there these this is for the people that will not have that secondary like you can lower the standard as much as possible and then we will find our level of success and the people below us will find theirs this is for the people that you lower that standard at whenever you want and the podium's not going to arrive. So that's kind of how I'm framing it. Like, yeah, we're all slow compared to the fast people, but this is for the people that it doesn't matter how much you move that field goal post. It's not, it's not changing things. Well, I certainly feel like I've blended in it at, I guess we could call it, would be the term where when you make that transition from being a big fish in a small pond, like I felt in high school to college where I was our 10th to 12th runner in cross country as a freshman, um, I didn't score for the team, nor did I really matter. Nobody's, you know, it was like I finished 56 that our conference meet out of 120 people. Like, way to go, right? Like, I was mm-hmm. right in the middle. Just no investment, it felt like, from anybody watching, any of, let's say, the teammates, um, just random spectators. Like, there was, it was very anticlimactic as far as how I felt people viewed the area and the race in which I was running. And it was every week, week in and week out, the top guys would finish a minute and a half or so ahead of me. And I would be way back 
seemed, it felt trivial, right? I was like, does it even matter? Like, I felt that before. Like, mm-hmm. well, I'm not, I'm not really doing anything. Nobody seems to care. There's no real weight on my performance because it's not going to yield any sort of result for my team. Um, and I went through that. That was a really hard transition in the sense where you're used to being driven by ego and let's say attention maybe. You know, you pat you on the back when you do well in high school. Good job. Like it's it's an identifier and it's it's very welcoming. So that transition was interesting. Obviously, I, I broke through that eventually, but I'm going to say that's as close, other than some one-off really bad performances, which I have had. Um, mm-hmm. I got gallery clapped at the conference 800-meter finals. I was dead last. I ran 203 in the 800-meter indoor conference finals bracket right after finishing the 1500 finals. I just blew up epically, and that was a rough go, and then a couple of college cross-country meets. But anyways, I, I felt what it's like to blend in is what I'm getting at. Um, have you ever felt that way? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's what D1 felt like to me. Just blend me into the back of the pack. Whether I'm there or not, the meat doesn't change. Right. And you know, listening, you guys, like I mentioned, um, I've been watching these old, well, first I was sick with COVID and now I've been on the treadmill a bit more because it's winter and I've been watching all these Spartan US National Series races uh, that I've been in. A lot of them I've been in, some I haven't. But nonetheless, you know, some of those races, North American Championships, I was eighth. Uh, Big Bear, I just watched. I was sixth. Never caught a glimpse of myself, right? Like, I'm still, like, in there, Mm -hmm. so unattainable. Like, no, like, I might as well not have been there. Like, it's easy to, like, to think that way. Being like, wow, I was there. It was such an experience. I felt really proud of my race. And I was out of the game. I was out of the mix. And so we still feel that, like, lining up sometimes at these big races. Like, we are the the dreamers, the chasers that have not attained in recent times. Anyways, I know you've had your periods of success, but often at times it feels a little, it can feel a little trivial to show up being like, what am I fighting for eighth place right now? And I know that seems like a very privileged thing to say to a lot of you listening, but eighth place uh, at times feels like it gets no more attention or no more uh, forward momentum than a hundredth. So anyways, just getting at the fact like there are moments that we still go through, um, that aren't what you're yeah. going through, but they're a, they're a fraction of it. That's it. Yeah. So, yes, I, I guess to summarize, point is we what we're about to talk about, we feel, but for the sake of not demeaning or trivializing the actual pursuit of never being fast, we'll just take ourselves out of yep. this because it would be patronizing to be like, hey, we get it because – you can change our goalposts and we'll find success. You can move our goalposts and we'll find it. So we'll just take the athlete hat off, put on the coach's hat right now and speak to all the athletes we've ever worked with who are not with us to ever make a podium. I agree with that. Um, and I would say that we, I mean, if, if we're lucky in one regard to understand this conversation, it's that we have worked with a number of people, right? So we understand uh, how people feel and see this mm-hmm. Uh, that aren't fighting for podiums with a lot of conversations over the years. So um, I think I want to, do we want to start here with, um, should we start off with pointers or talking points and, and go one by one? Or do you want to frame this conversation in a certain way to start? No, let's just dig right into it. What does the running relationship look like? If it's just very apparent, you're never going to be fast. And that's, I do want to just say one piece about that. I do not want this to come off as being a dream killer. Mm -hmm. 
because the worst thing a coach or a friend or anyone can ever say is, listen, it's just not possible. Because for everyone that says that, there's the exception to that that proves it wrong. So we are speaking to the person who they have already decided <laughs> it's not possible. It's not even my goal. Mm-hmm. I don't want this because it doesn't seem possible. And even if it was, it's not alluring to me. That's not me. So that's who we are speaking to. We're not saying, listen, you need to come to grips with the fact that you're <laughs> never going to be fast. Yeah. That's not this episode. This is, you stated to me, you don't care about it. You're not running to ever be good. You don't believe it's possible. Your goal is to not walk. That's what this is for. This is for the everyman who just wants to have a relationship with running. And you've stated that it's not possible to be fast. So let's not even focus on that. Yeah. Um, so when this conversation as a whole, like speaking at the back of the Packers, the first, uh, thing that pops into my mind is a simple, uh, sentence that I say often to a select few of athletes I have. And that is stay in your lane. It is that simple. Stay in your lane. I'll say it one more time. Stay in your lane. What do I mean by that? Comparison is the thief of joy, and it could not be more true in this sense. I have to do it myself all the time, you know, wanting to perform better than maybe I have or take a bump up or be as good as this guy. Like, we do that, right? But it's very important to stay in your lane. Um, Comparing typically results in frustration and feeling a little bit bad about yourself. Oh, well, I'm a 50-year-old woman. How come this 50-year-old woman is running so much faster than me? Like, what? why am I so pathetic? Well, you're not. And what goes hand in hand with staying in your lane means you compare you to you, right? You don't compare you to anybody else. You compare you to you. You have one lane. It is your lane, and you stay in it as best you can. It's easy to say in theory, hard to do in practice. But when I say that, it means on top of the things I just mentioned, um, you know how a lot of times, Bracken, uh, like racing is subjective. Like you go to a Spartan race or you go to a trail race and the metrics are kind of out the window because there's obstacles and terrain and mountains and like pacing doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. Anything doesn't matter. And so a lot of times people don't often feel where their victories are coming from. Like I went and I ran there. I completed it. That's great. But like, there's the back of yes. the Packers who want more. Like, yeah, I, I, I like, I want to know how I did, and I know I worked hard, and I put myself out there, and I took two hundredth out of two hundred and twenty, and I beat some people, and that's nice. But um, one of the key factors I feel like with the staying in your lane is being able to give yourself the opportunity to uh, find out your own metrics, meaning. If you, yes. Right. If you can find a way to measure yourself against yourself, which could be something as simple as 5K time trialing, showing up at local road races, running the same course year after year might be a trail race, but finding ways to really direct yourself into your own lane and then having your own comparatives yeah. versus comparing to others. And so trying to put a little bit of a bow tie on the stay in your lane with lumping that all into the one big thing you tracking me i am and i'm glad you clarified what stay in your lane means to you because it's a demeaning phrase 
when used incorrectly. Like it, it kind of brings to kind of uh, brings to mind that shut up and dribble that 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 uh, one one woman used towards LeBron James when he spoke out politically. Oh, sure, yeah. Like that stay in your lane. It's not that we don't allow you out of your lane. It's that identify the lane of where your happiness resides and don't cloud it with looking over other people's shoulders and pining after what they have. Like once you accept the fact that you're not fast compared to the people who you call fast, you have to stop aspiring to be them in terms of their times. You can aspire to be many things about them, but you can't look at how fast they're running and make allow that to make you feel like crap. So that I'm glad that you did define that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not that you're not allowed to shift over into the fast lane. It's that more often than not, if they're moving too fast, you're just going to cause an issue for yourself. You can't just merge over into a lane where you don't belong. And belonging is really, really touchy. It's like, well, do I belong there now? Again, we're talking to people who know I'm not fast. So I cannot compare myself to what I would consider fast. Along with what you're saying that, uh, like finding your metrics, I find, uh, people ask all the time about what matters more to me, pace or heart rate or percent of winner or things like that. And I think that different metrics matter more to different segments of the running population. So, uh, Jack Bauer, for example, the obstacle racing statistician, um, he's big on percent behind winner and Jack Feel free to message me and I'll ignore it if I'm wrong on applying that characteristic to you. But how the winner did, what is your percentage behind them? That tells us how good you were on that day. And I think that's a very important metric to the competitive athlete. Because then it doesn't matter what the course was like or if they changed it, if it was long or short, if it was technical or non-technical. You can see how close you were to the winner. Finishing a marathon five minutes behind the winner might be the same as finishing a 5K 30 seconds behind the winner. That's just a, an estimate. I don't, don't hold me to that math. Mm. But percentage behind winner puts in perspective your performance. But because we've said stay in your lane and don't worry about the winner, that metric should not apply to the person who's not trying to be competitive. That will only lead you to either overrate things that maybe no one showed up for and suddenly you're like, my fitness improves so much. I think I can be fast. And then the next week, a local fast person comes out and just blows up your world. So I don't think that's worth doing. And, uh, and I also don't think that pace necessarily matters to the higher end athlete. If their pace, be, if their percentage behind winners way off, but I think it matters really, really importantly to the low end athlete. So finding what metrics matter to your segment of the population, I think is really, really key. I think that it's a little more complicated than people realize sometimes. For certain athletes, they say, do I need to worry about pace or effort on this run? I'm like, honestly, you can do either one. Mm-hmm. I think the higher you get and the lower you get, those metrics, they, they kind of shift. And I know I'm being vague about this. I want to get yeah. into it, but I want, I want to guess, hear, hear your reaction to that. Well, I want to touch on a, little, a point you just made, actually, which is just because I mentioned metrics and comparing you to you, staying in your lane, I mean, now you know the context in which I mean it. Mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to touch and say when you are more of a back of the packer, uh, a slower runner by comparison sense, um, you're going to have a larger discrepancy in performances. 
a good day for let's say a fast runner might be six minute on the head pace for his 10k and on his bad day he might be 615 and be really bummed about that right i go 615 for 15 seconds per mile mm-hmm. slower go get cry me a river when you're a backpack you're going to see bigger fluctuations as well so let's say you're a 15 minute miler well a good day for you might be 1330 and a bad day might be 1550 uh with the, the gaps get larger. And so a lot of times it's very easy for back of the Packers to scrutinize. Like today was just so slow, even by my standards, but you're going to see a bigger discrepancy and that's actually pretty normal. So I just wanted, you said something that mm-hmm. ticked me off to like, like not made me mad, but like ticked me to make sure I got that in there that like bigger swings yeah. when you're a, when you're slower in quotes are normal between the good days and the bad days. Um, because it's a percentage based endeavor really it is so i wanted to make that point yeah a 10 percent reduction in pace at five minute pace is a lot less total time than a 10 percent reduction in a 10 minute pace right and so it looks weightier but it's the same right and the tipping point between running and walking ends up happening somewhere in you know let's say the 15 minute pace range and sometimes when that tipping point is over it just exacerbates the performances between the good and bad days and you have to be able to look at them and just know that's actually where you should be and you can smooth that out being like that's kind of part of the deal like when i crack i crack like that's how it's going to work so just knowing like it has to ebb and flow a little um more smoothly than it might appear on the day-to-day does that make sense yeah absolutely and then the other thing I wanted to follow that up with, I guess it's not really piggybacking your point, but, and I mean this in the most polite way, um, is nobody cares but you. I'm saying that as a general rule, not an exception. Like, yes, your husband cares and your kids care and your best running buddies care. Nobody really gives a sh- shit. Um, and I mean that in the way that, like, for example, do you lay at home in bed at night listener and be like man remember that time kirk took 13th at the spartan race in utah like man he laid an egg like that's just embarrassing for him like do you dwell on other people's shortcomings like in your real life are you that petty nobody does that unless you're really unpleasant to be around and so point being is nobody does that with you either you know nobody is going to be worried about Mm -hmm. your good or bad performances deviating from center whatsoever so it more of a reason to stay internalized and stay in your lane finding the ways to feel victorious um and keeping forward momentum going i stand i will stand on this rock in the fact that if i'm a 20 minute miler i can run three miles an hour and all of my gifts that i have been given and worked hard for taken away from me and i am in the back 25 percent you bet your ass I still put my running shoes on tomorrow morning because of what it does for me and my day and my attitude and my mm-hmm. my life, right? And so um, I reach for that yeah. more than ever in these last few years with what I've had, what I've gone through. And so those things become more and more important. In fact, I think sometimes, and I know I'm rambling a little off your point, Bracken, but you know, sometimes you look at the top end athletes and it's very metric based. It's very performance based. It's very like, show me the numbers, show me the placement. And a lot of times they're so close mm-hmm. to the flame that they can't take a step back and understand what it's actually doing for them as a human, like how it sets their day, how it releases their anxiety, how it makes them a better father or husband or 
um, coworker, like people just don't, when it becomes everything, like the tip of the spear, yes, a lot of those people are very well-rounded, grounded people who understand that this is a mental health thing and other as much as anything. But I'm just saying a lot of times it looks glorious to look at that, but it is an obsessive, compulsive, very unhappy world at times, depending on the, the pros relationship mm-hmm. with it. What I'm saying is sometimes you can take your inability to run fast and maybe be the lucky one, somebody who can actually have a healthier relationship with it than somebody like me who's still aspiring for some reason to be on a Spartan U.S. National Series podium. And and again, I know I'm rambling, but these are all just points that I feel like are important to make. And I don't know if I even piggybacked what you just said, but that's uh, that's where I just started riffing. I'm sorry about that. No, I think you're strengthening where I'm wanting to go with this because you're okay. exactly right that your metrics don't really matter to anyone. Like you said, okay, so we have a platform, right? We have a podcast. We have a social media following to some extent. We've been on some televised coverages of races, which is without, you know, hopefully you take this for what I'm trying to say with it. it that's a higher platform than 99% of runners have. And at the same point, no one could look at either of us and say like, oh yeah, that one race in 2015, I was really disappointed in you because they don't remember. No one cares. Nor could you tell me my best race from 2017. Mm-hmm. No one knows that because even though we have a platform and people are aware of, some people are aware of what we say and do and they'll give us likes when we run well, mm-hmm. or they might get a little extra proud when we make a podium because they know us personally, or they've listened to us for three years in their ears. They still don't care how we do. So if they don't care, and if you're not making, unfortunately, sometimes podiums are the only thing people care about. They care about hearing a pace, a time, or a podium. Outside of that, it's really hard for the average person to understand or care about any of your metrics. So if we don't care about pace because no one else cares, and if you can't make a podium, so they're not going to care hearing what place you took, then it doesn't matter what metric you choose to show yourself that you're improving, that you're worthwhile, or that you have merit as a runner. So at that point, you can choose the metrics that work best for you for progressing as an athlete and that can show you how you're progressing. For an example, cadence. Your cadence in a race, Kirk, does not mean anything to me. My cadence in a race doesn't mean anything to me because most of the time when we're racing, it's at least semi-tactically. There are times we could run faster in a race, but we're saving ourselves for something else or we're sitting in a pack. There's times we're running too fast, but we've got to go with the pace in order to not get gapped. And so our our fluctuations and cadences in a race is going to be pretty dramatic compared to the average runner. When people get into tactical pack-based races, their cadence awfully, often drops because you just go into energy savings mode. So to a top-end runner or a mid-tier runner, Cadence in a race really doesn't tell you much. It's not like we can look back at each track or trail race we've done and say, see why I did so well here? I averaged 180 steps per minute. It's because it didn't matter. We were trying to run 160 as long as possible to save energy and then trying to run 210 when we're kicking in at the end. So that, that's not a, a, a metric that matters to any of us. However, if you can't make a podium and you're not trying to hang with a pack in a race, you're just trying to do your very best. Tracking cadence might really matter to you. You might be able to say, listen, I ran a half marathon six weeks ago, and I was able to keep 178 steps per minute for six and a half miles, and then I really started to slow, and I dropped to 170 and then 160. And this time, six weeks later, I kept 178 for nine and a half miles. 
That is a tangible difference that showed you could keep the same stride longer into the race with less cost. So suddenly tracking cadence is a way to very easily give you a sense of worth after a race that this was a real imp improvement. Maybe my overall time didn't change, but I'm becoming a stronger runner. My overall pacing or uh, placing didn't change, but I have this metric that I can live and die on right now and show me six weeks of training did this for me and I'm super proud of it. And because I took 43rd in my age group, no one cares to hear my placement and they also don't care about my cadence, but I have this. That's just one example of finding a metric that works for you in your ability level. Yeah, you actually took it where I wanted to go next with this. I mean, not on cadence specifically, but Good. when I say when I say nobody cares, um, I stand by that. Nobody cares but you, right? And and that is, I mean, again, there's a small mm -hmm. circle that truly cares, like how you do will affect their day, right? But for the vast majority of anybody, you just kind of have to block that all out. And then exactly what you said, Bracken, is finding what matters to you, whether it's simply like, comparing your heart rate at 15 minute pace uh today versus six weeks ago being like oh my heart rate was a little lower or yes. higher it could be um things like just accruing like you know last week i went 18 total miles doesn't matter pacing and now i want to be at 22 total miles in six weeks from now and working towards like the things that make you feel accomplished that aren't a placement right like that's what we're getting at here and the the truth is 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 mm -hmm. i don't mean like i don't want this to come off as like patronizing saying like oh well good job on your lower heart rate like that's that's what you're reduced to because it's not true because the same mm -hmm. things are going on through my head right now my little win i did a progression run and i had my first good one back since covid and i ended three seconds per mile faster than i did my last progression run and i extended it one mile further um, my overall average for my last seven miles went from 540 to 539, right? One second. I've never won anything that is important in people's eyes in recent history. I haven't landed on a podium, but you know what? One second per mile average faster over those last seven miles got me hopping in my shoes around the rest of the day because nobody else cares but me. Nobody mm -hmm. gives a crap, right? but me and so what I, so I, I could see how this could feel a little patronizing yeah good job on your one second per mile faster pacing like that's a win way to go right. champ like some people could take offense to that well i'm that person then because i do the exact same thing and i have very few accolades yeah. to my name so what i'm saying is I, we're not being patronizing is what i'm getting at the same process goes no for myself not at all whether you're running five minute miles or 15 minute miles and so finding those metrics um are very important most elevation gain on a run whatever it is to make you be like yeah i feel successful like did i really accomplish anything on saturday in my progression run no like I, I mean i went for a run and that felt good but like accomplishing things in a performance standpoint that people would care about not at all and so honing in on those things for me that was big that was a big win that's going to propel me through another week of training yeah and so you have to find those things for yourself yeah, there's that uh, that quote that kind of hard asses love to post on Instagram where they're like, no one cares, work harder. Yeah. Well, what we're saying is no one cares, so work happier. Mm. Like, If no one cares what you choose to make your mark in your own life, then choose the marks that make you happy. If chasing after cadence makes you happy, well, no one else cares, so do it. Like what you get to write down in your log determines your happiness. 
And if you're choosing the wrong metric, that's always going to set you up for failure, like maybe pace or how I ranked on Strava on this segment. Well, no one else cares either way. So why set yourself up for failure? And it scales upwards too. There's times where we get flack for talking about our pacing and workouts. Like, oh yeah, Kirk, 539 pace. Wow, that sucks. That's so slow. And just coming off COVID too. It's like, yeah, but the, the, the female elites in your area would look at you and be like, 539 pace? Oh, that's cute. <laughs> exactly. That's 15 seconds slower than my marathon pace. Mm-hmm. That's an adorable little cut down you did, Kirk. <laughs> you know, Danny Moreno would look at you and be like, yeah, yeah, I suppose you could pace me for some of my tempo runs if you were racing. It's just, it's all relative. I'll crush you, Danny. That's right. (laughs) Our metrics, which are important to us, are adorable to high-level runners or cute. Or sometimes they'll scoff at it. One of my best workouts I ever hit was while I was with a buddy of mine, John DeWitt, who was running, I've said this before, but three on, two off, three on, two off. And his two offs were my two on, and then I'd take one off. I had an awesome workout while running his recovery pace. And he could very easily be like, <laughs> Bragan, you consider yourself a semi-pro obstacle racer and you're running my off paces as your big quality swing the hammer hard effort. But instead it was like, hey, no one cares. So I'm going to be pumped about this workout. I don't have to write down in my logbook, I ran 510 pace for my on, but John was resting from 448 pace. No, I don't write that because that if no one cares, work happy. Write down, I nailed 510 pace. Felt better than it used to feel. So choose the metric, if no one cares, that moves your needle. Stride power meters. Honestly, I don't recommend for many mid to upper tier runners. I think they're a phenomenal tool for the runner who claims they'll never be fast. Because you can't fake power readings and it doesn't care what percent behind winner you are. If you're plodding along in 50th place or 500th place, your power readings are accurate. And they're going to tell you exactly how you're performing. Whether there's five people in your race or 5,000, whether you can see a pack or not, your power meter will tell you you're running better than you did last week. Or you're not trying very hard because you're not putting out any watts right now. Mm. So it's funny that a lot of times when people contact me and ask about all these fancy watches or what they need out of their treadmills, I'm like, well, you're honestly, you don't need a treadmill that goes 15 miles per hour because you'll never run that fast. And I might recommend a fast runner to get an expensive treadmill, but I'm going to recommend you get an expensive foot pod when I wouldn't recommend that to them. Mm -hmm. Your, your money can be spent differently because you're going to be able to use that pod, that stride power meter for every run and race you ever do. And it's going to quantify for you exactly how much better you got. And I can't say I've recommended a stride power meter to any of my high-end athletes. So it's a, it's just a very, um, it's a murky kind of world to live in, which is there's all these metrics and things you can use, but none of them mean anything if they don't mean something to you. And if they mean something to someone else, that doesn't force you to have to adopt it. I think the most important thing that will be said on this podcast is nobody cares, work happier. I don't think, I think we could just wrap it if we had to because i couldn't agree with anything you said more i think in some time that simply beautiful statement could not be more true and that's actually just resonating with me for some reason um so i think it will resonate with other people yeah i think it's um i'm still caught up in metrics of course i am just like most people listening and i'm still trying to squeeze the last amount of juice out of this 
you know, career I have. And so, um, metrics still matter to me. Um, and not that I, not that, not that they, uh, I don't get down about it to be honest, but I can see a point in time, which is where I wanted to go with this next is, um, the back of the Packer who, okay, we just talked about your metrics. Well, earth to you guys, you're getting older, so you're going to be getting slower and you're already a back of the Packer, which is a large majority of our listener base. Like Mm -hmm. we're just saying, Oh, you get a little faster for you. Well, what if that's not even possible anymore? Right? Like you're on the backside of your career in every sense of the word. You're 45, 50, and you cannot run as fast as you used to. You had a tough COVID, and you gained 30 pounds, and you're 55. Yeah, what now, right? Like, I'm never going to be what I used to be. Yeah. Um, I deal with a number of people in that boat right now, and so um, I'm combining age and being slow right now and maybe getting chubby all into one, which is a terrible way, direction to go, but it's a real direction to go for some people and and. I have a handful that I'm thinking of uh, specifically with this. And so when you talk about like, what does that person do? The person is like, okay, that's nice. Like work on your cadence, work on your pace, work on this. Like I'm going one direction and it's slower yet. Like that's just what the reality is. I have a few talking points on it, but do you have any knee jerk reactions to that? Yeah, yeah, I do. Well, the first is working off of your statement, which is, you know, that famous phrase, comparison is the thief of joy. Well, it doesn't just extend to other people. Comparison to your previous self is also one. Mm. Because as you age, your previous self is not currently you. And you cannot compare yourself to your previous self. So you almost have to go into this like you're doing a, a new athlete consult with someone and you give your current standard metrics. You don't get to say, well, I have a PR from 2004. It's like, no, that doesn't matter. We're not working on that right now. Let's start now. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, Comparison is the thief of joy applies to your previous self as well as you age or as you get injured or as you get overweight and you're working your way back. You can't worry about your old metrics if your current life circumstances do not match up one-to-one with what they were then. Yeah. I thought you were going to continue there. I could not agree more. Um Oh, no. In that, oh, no. No, I was not going to continue. So in that sense, like we're giving you, you know, stay in your lane. Compare your own metrics to you. Find ways to feel accomplished and victorious. And then there's a stage, and I'm not there yet, but I've been with people. Uh, I currently have a number of athletes and in-person clients in the gym in this stage where it is what it is meaning like you understand the song and dance that has been your relationship to running and metrics and life and you say well you know what at the end of the day i am a better human because of this and again this isn't patronizing because Mm -hmm. i think the same thing for myself it's like you have the perspective to say well maybe i gained 30 pounds but i didn't gain 40 well Maybe I used to run a 20-minute 5K, and now I'm running 30-minute 5Ks, but I'm still moving forward. Like, having the perspective of what it does for you as, like, a human and as your soul, like, as, as like the ebb and flow of your day, like, eating a healthy meal with broccoli and rice and chicken, like, is that as good as a chocolate cake? No, but 
it keeps you propelling forward and feeling good about like what you're doing with yourself and your life. And the same goes for putting on your shoes and getting out the door. Whether you feel like you failed because you started walking two minutes into your run because you just didn't have it that day or your feet hurt from the extra weight you put on or whatever it is. The point I'm getting at is like at some point when we talk about metrics, do you know what? Like there's going to be a day in which they don't really matter. And what matters is holding yourself accountable and staying to the routine because you know what it does to you as like a, and yourself as an entirety. And that's not a constellation direction to head with this. Like, well, that's what you're reduced to. Now you just have to like, you know, put on your rose tinted glasses and be like, oh, this is going to be fine now. What I'm saying is like, ideally you have this part of you, the entire place in your running career where you realize what it does for you more than the metrics you put out. But at some point it's like, this has become like, this is just who I am. And so regardless as to metrics, holding yourself accountable and staying on your routine, um, I think is very, very important to just feeling good. And, and again, I don't mean to be reductionist there. I hope it doesn't come off that way, but I think at some point that's what it is going to come down to saying, yeah, well, I only got five seconds per mile slower in my 5k this year. I know that sounds silly, but those are big wins in your 60s, 70s if you're still at it. And I know a few runners who are being like, yeah, well, I endured and here I am still doing it. Then you have a different point of pride. It doesn't matter how fast you're going if you're running at 70. I don't give yeah. a dang crap. fact is that you're still going out there and doing it. Um, I feel like I'm getting a little tangential today, but um, I just want to make sure that stuff was said too. Well, listen, if you don't give a dang crap, I don't give a dang crap. <laughs> Don't give a dang crap about what? Did I say don't give a dang crap? Did I say that? You did. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Yeah. It's powerful. It really is. It, it's, it's interesting that if you look at non-athletic fields, there's a natural progression to getting older, which is you remove yourself from the fray a little bit and you worry about the headier aspects of things. Like you can't be a cutthroat businessman your entire life for most people, but then you maybe get to sit on a board for a while and tinker on other things, or you get to be more of a consultant rather than a in the field grinding hard, or maybe instead of, um, of, of working hard every day, people pick up uh, an instrument and they start tinkering on other things. And it's accepted that you move from the person on the front lines to the person on the periphery doing other things that intrigue them and move the needle for them in other ways. And no one looks at those people and be like, well, they've, they've just lost it. It's like, no, they've earned the right to go try some other things. They, they, they went after the grind. They went after PRs. They went after being the fastest metric-based person possible. And now they're playing around with some other things, and that's really cool. And hopefully you age in a healthful enough way that it moves the needle for you to realize I don't have to be the pinnacle of any one area anymore. I get to try to find some new areas. And running has so many areas that when PRing is no longer a possibility, it's not just I accept my inevitable inevitable demise because you don't accept that in business or in education or in music. You find other ways to let it out. You know, there's uh, there's someone, Corey, I work with, and he's not an aging athlete by any means, but he and his wife do a paddle and run race each year. Getting done paddling a canoe and then running, it's a weird type of running, but you can probably get better than that at that type of thing when you're already getting slower if you wanted to. Like if Corey didn't pick that up in his 30s, if he picked it up in his 50s, his second one would improve. 
And his third one would probably improve. And then after a while, his paddling would improve. And you can get better at that. Or you can take two of the trails or try a big, long mountain chain. There are many other ways to find joy in running and actually have tangible improvements in areas that aren't just get on the roads of the track and run faster or slow your decline longer. Mm -hmm. There are many different kind of those explore the sport, find a new niche. You know, maybe I'm, I'm playing pickleball instead of tennis. When I get to my sixties, there are running versions of that. It's explore a little bit, find it, see what moves the needle. And again, if no one cares, be happy, find the things that allow you to do that. Yeah. And if running becomes the experience, like exploring a new trail, all that matters is covering ground on your feet and looking around and mm -hmm. enjoying it for what it is, as I alluded to earlier. Like, that's very powerful to, like, speak to what you said. And as cliche as it is to say, like, you may not be getting faster. It may not be in the cards for you because of your age or wherever situation you are, but you could go further. And, again, as, as cookie cutter and mm -hmm. boxy as that is because you see older athletes transition to ultras, they do it for a reason because it keeps the next carrot dangling that can make you feel accomplished. Well, if I can't run faster than I ever have, I might as well run further. And there couldn't be a truer progression yeah. in the endurance ath in the endurance lifespan. And then the other thing um, that I think is important to touch on is the, you know, the vibe, your vibe attracts your tribe or whatever that saying is. And what I mean by your vibe, I mean by your abilities, by your abilities attracting or putting yourself together with other of similar abilities so you are amongst your peers when you are training we all want good training partners whether you're a four minute miler or a 15 minute miler and going out of your way to find people who make you feel like you're one of them uh, can be pretty powerful so um, if for some reason your little pool of people are all faster than you, everybody at your gym's faster than you, your OCR facility, you're like always the last one and it feels like crap. Well, I understand that. Maybe you could seek out some people who make you feel less like crap because they're just as yeah. slow as you are. And that's a nice thing. So just some ways to, to work around it. Um, if you're feeling it affecting like your psyche or your love for what we do. I think that'd be a, a good recommendation. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned ultras because there's this line in racing where running goes from a shameful thing to a form of racing and walking goes from a shameful thing to a form of racing. Like right. in a 5k and a 10k and a half marathon for some people, if you walk, that is shameful. And people will pass you like, come on, man, get going. You can do it. And then you get to a certain distance of ultra or a certain steepness mm -hmm. of terrain in an ultra. And hiking is a tactic. It is a skill. It's a weapon. And so if you're slow enough that walking is always on the table, but you just are tired of feeling like <laughs> crap walking in a 5K, find an event where walking is one of the prerequisite skills. And suddenly you take joy in it. And then you start finding ways like I can hike faster. Or I've reduced my ground contact time in my walking, or I've sprinkled in more running in this 50 mm -hmm. K than I did last time. But I noticed that in the ultras I've done, if you choose a steep ultra or a long enough, the top people walk. Mm -hmm. And if the top people are walking, Hey, I'm allowed to walk. And now it's not considered resting. It's considered racing. That's kind of cool. <laughs> so you can always go longer. You can do last man standing events where you don't have to run faster than 10 minute mile at any point. Mm -hmm. You just have to be able to do it over and over. So I'm glad you mentioned ultras because even though it does seem cliche, like, oh, if you're not fast enough, just go longer. Like, well, yeah, if no one cares, be happy. 
If no one cares about your results anyway, go do the thing that rewards your skill set. And walking and not giving up is a real skill set when the races get long. Yeah, it is. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, or played cleanup, I should say. Um, the other thing is, like, we don't want to have this, like, oh, you know, woe is me or ho-hum vibe to to this. Like, oh, these are all, like, my second choices. Like, my second choice is to realize how good this is for my mental health. Or my second choice is to go longer. Like, these are all, like, constellation options. They're not. Like, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you need to be able to step back and look at what you're doing and realize, like, how, one, lucky you are, have this body to tolerate whatever you're doing to it. Two, to have a love for something that continues to go, even though it feels rocky more than it feels great. Like three, understanding, um, as I've honed in on a couple of times, like just what this does for you as a human being and just being able to step back and look at all of those things at any point in your running career, but especially when you're either on the backside of it or you are not somebody who is a lead packer, I think actually... Mm -hmm living that truth like believing it which i'm already getting to like this is me whether i i'm reduced to being a speed walker or i continue to run at somewhat of a level um it's it's just an important thing to like it's very easy to focus on like the shortcomings of yourself right compared to others um and that's why the stay in your lane thing is so important um but when if you can if you can stop focusing on the metrics uh, if that's the stage you're in. And I know we talked a lot about metrics today, but you stop focusing on the metrics and stop, start focusing on the uh, the ancillary pieces, all the other things that aren't metrics, you start to realize that like, you got a pretty damn good. Things are going all right. Who cares if you get gallery yeah. clapped once in a while? You're hopefully happy, healthy, and working towards something. And that's more than 99.9% of the population can say. And you can puff your chest out just as proud of that, even though you'll never be on a podium. That's That's how I feel about it. Yeah, my final thought I'd I'd leave with is when's the last time you saw someone in a gym working out, like on a Smith machine or on a leg curl machine, get off and complain that they're not moving as much weight as some of the people they see around them? Doesn't really happen. It's if you're getting under the squat bar or benching heavy, sometimes people would be like, Man, I gotta add some weight to this, but no one's sitting there doing lat pull downs thinking, Oh, my life would be better if I could just lat pull down more. <laughs> No, because it's not why you're doing it. Yeah. You're doing it to keep your body healthy and to put some density on your bones and maybe increase your muscle mass or anything like that or just relieve stress and be a better husband, wife, father, mother, parent, whatever it's going to be. That Why does running have to be any different than that? Mm. If, you, if I can walk into a gym and they have nothing but standing machines with pulleys on them and walk out of there with a pump and feeling good about myself without really ever paying attention to what slot I'm sliding that pin into when I'm doing weight selections, why can't we run that way? We get too caught up in metrics as runners. Mm-hmm. So even though it's like, yeah, no one cares, choose the metric that makes you happy. It's also no one cares. Just go do the thing that makes you feel good. I don't have to, if I'm doing leg, uh, like that, uh, the abductor, adductor, uh, leg machine, do I have any concept of what weight the elites would be moving on that? No, I do the one that makes my grind feel good, <laughs> right? That's the one you do. The one that's not going to tear your groin and the one that makes you feel good afterwards. Treat running that way. The, the tough thing though about it, and we need to wrap this up, but is like, there's very few things in life where we get like an 
a true comparison that's objective to other people. There's very few opportunities for that. In grade school, it's tests, scores, and yeah. grades. In in life, it's, let's say, income and how much money you make. And in other things, it's what time did you run? How far did you go? Like these are objective numbers, and it's one of the few facets in life in which we have yeah. those things. Like the other things are pretty subjective. Like most things we do in life are like open for interpretation. If you're a baseball player or a basketball player or football, like one amazing catch can overshine your shitty statistics, for example. Like, so what I'm getting, what I'm saying is like, it's, I agree with you fully. It's like one of those traps. It's like our sport is a trap in that way because it's one of the few things. Yeah, definitely. In which is objective in life. And so it's so easy to fall to that trap. But you are right. And your gym comparison is very interesting because no, it's, it, they like, you'd think they'd work the same way. Like, oh, I'm not lifting as much as that person. I feel like crap about myself. But that's not how it seems to work for most. And that's a good reminder for people. I like hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the only way to really get away from it is to leave your watch at home and go run on the trails. That's kind of true. <laughs> Just go out for a run and don't even have a metric available to you. But yeah, it's it's not why we need to do it. Mm -mm. If it is, choose a metric that moves your needle. If it's not, don't have metrics. And we're right back to where we started. Anything else you want to add into that today? Oh. I think I've squeezed the squeeze no, as much. I'm pretty happy right here. Yeah, me too, I think. I hope this felt like it had some sort of direction. I felt like it was just a message that we haven't talked about needed to be said. Like we speak so often to the higher, uh, the high performing athletes and attaining that, right? That's what our, we've revolved our podcast around. Our tagline is get to the finish line faster, right? Well, yeah, uh, we underserve this section of our community. And so we're trying, we're trying to have a, a real conversation around that today. Exactly. As much as we don't want to believe it, there are a lot of people that do not care about 99% of the, the topics and times we talk about. Mm. And if you don't care, you don't care. Don't force yourself to fit that role. Just... Roll music. Boom. Boom.